On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to continue looking at some questions for the Church of Christ. We've been doing this for two weeks, and this is our third week, and Lord willing, we will wrap this up tonight. We don't want to bore our audience, but we found uh, an Internet article that tried to describe what we as the Church of Christ believes, and we think they did just a horrible job in explaining what we believe, and they were just wrong about it. So we've been trying to address that. We have the last two weeks tonight. Hopefully we'll wrap that up. All right. It's going to be a good discussion. Stay tuned. We're getting started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, February 18th, 2021. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Hey, Jacob. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. Kyle's behind the controls. Kyle, good to be you. It's good to be you. Come Coming sliding in from the North Country. We're coming in to you live from the snowy Columbia, Tennessee tonight. Hey, man, we have, uh, we, we know that some of our regular listeners deal with winter weather a lot. We, uh, we know Lou up in Minnesota, Dwight and Michelle in Iowa, others who listen have have lots of expertise in dealing with winter weather. This is a little unusual for us. We've been below freezing since last week when we did the virtual Bible study. And we've had two rounds of snow and ice, and uh, it's pretty wintry right here it in Columbia, is. Tennessee tonight. We were having fun with it. but uh, we're Kids glad. have been sledding. That's right. We're glad to um, be with you tonight on the program as we continue these discussions uh, about uh, the article that was written about the Church yeah. of Christ and some some. Claims that are made that are not right, not true. Probably a lot of people who are listening uh, have have been with us already and and know, but I'm going to read this uh, website again so you can look this up if you want to read the whole article, which is very long. It's it's Faith Facts. Mash those words together. Faithfacts.org. Faithfacts.org. Then slash world-religions-and-theology slash Church dash of dash Christ. So anyway, faithfacts.org, look for world religions, look for Church of Christ. You'll find this article. It's very long. But the first part of it uh, was this fellow's summary, uh, a doctrinal summary of the churches of Christ. And that's the part we've been addressing. He goes into a lot of details on other things as the article goes on. The guy does not, I had somebody write me today say, who who wrote this? And and I had to say, I don't know. The guy didn't give his name, which to me is kind of telling, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to offer this critique, at least tell us who you are yeah. and maybe give us a way to contact you so we yeah. can talk about it. Uh, but none of that was available. Uh, we had a little email problem today. Uh, the normal way that we send out the updates to the virtual Bible study was not working. I think a lot of, a lot of you who are on our mailing list, uh, know that we use a service called MailChimp, and MailChimp was not working this morning, so we had to send all of our updates out by Gmail. I think that may have caused some people to have their updates shunted into their spam folder, possibly. Um, and, and But I did find out that some people who got the Gmail today have not been getting our other updates. Well, so we need we need everybody to... if 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 you're listening, if you realize that you have not been getting updates, but maybe today you did, uh, if you're not getting our updates, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and, and say, make sure I'm on the list. Okay. Yeah. Good. All right. Yeah. So, so yeah, if you're listening and you thought you were on the list and you don't get one every week, you send one out every week, if we're going to be on or off. I mean, if there's a few occasions when we're going to be off the air. You send out emails saying we're not going to be on the air. Yeah. And, so. and we send out the weekly bulletin uh, almost every week, effectively every week, unless I'm away uh, and, uh, for some reason or another. So uh, we send out a weekly bulletin. So too. if it's, 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 you should get two emails from and us. And if you're not getting those emails, it's you, not us. That's right. We're trying to send it to everybody who wants it. Okay. So let us know. All right. All right. With possible some exceptions, 
I said send it to everybody wants. Uh, you know, if, if your great grandmother in in uh, Outer Timbuktu wants it, we probably can't get it to her. But okay, right. <laughs> but I don't want to be I don't want to be inaccurate on okay. that. Uh, all right. So let's just keep diving into this. We, we They're number. signing in the chat room, by the way. If you haven't signed in, you want to be there so you can send in the comments tonight. And also, 877-381-4567 the number to use to call and talk to us directly. We'd love to speak with you on the phone tonight. We numbered the paragraphs in this introductory section of the article called Doctrinal Summary of the Churches of Christ. We numbered them, and we're on paragraph number 15. So we're just going to keep referring to those paragraph numbers. They were in our update email today. This At paragraph 15, the, the fellow says, their theology, talking about us, Churches of Christ, Church of Christ theology may be either semi-Pelagian, which is salvation by works plus God's grace, or full Pelagian, God's grace and the righteousness of Christ may be nice to have, but are not necessary for salvation because one can save himself by obedience. I think I said last week, I have to, I have to confess, I did not, not know who Pelagius was. I don't know how many of our listeners would have recognized that name uh, right off. Uh, not many. My guess is not many. Pelagius was a theologian who lived uh, in the late 4th and early 5th century, 354 to 418 A.D. He advocated free will and asceticism. Uh, he denied the need for divine aid in performing good works. The only grace necessary was the declaration of the law, declaration of the law. Humans were not wounded by Adam's sin and were perfectly able to fulfill the law without divine aid. Pelagius. I didn't know. I never. I don't think I ever heard that guy's name before. So that might uh, tell you whether or not your theology, if you will, is. I, well, I think that kind of makes a point. We don't believe what we believe because some theologian in the fourth century said this is what we're supposed no to. No matter how smart he may have been. Yeah, or or for that matter, we don't believe what we believe because of some theologian in the twenty first century tells us what he thinks we should believe. We believe what we believe because we try diligently to study the Bible, which we think we're told to do, Second Timothy 2, verse 15. Why we have this hour every week. Why we study like this on the virtual Bible study. This isn't the only hour, and it shouldn't be your only hour. But And so we're not following men or men's theology. We're really trying to decipher the Bible and understand it on our own, and we think we can. We think that God's perfect revelation of mankind is capable of being understood. Uh, and so I, that the, the idea that we didn't know who Pelagius was probably illustrates that we're not bound to human philosophy and theology. We're trying to just follow the Bible. Okay. Uh, but but what about this idea? Salvation is by works plus God's grace. Or, that, he says that's semi-Pelagian. Full Pelagian is God's grace and, and the righteousness of Christ might be nice to have but are not necessary for salvation because one can save himself by obedience. Well, we absolutely deny that second description. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 answers that question. Salvation by, we saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so there in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, uh, we're saved by grace through faith, that you might, uh, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Notice. There's no meritorious works. There's no works we can do where we, whereby we can boast right. that we uh, are saved, that we have earned our salvation. Right. We've, we've explained that, I don't know how many dozens of times through the years on the Virtual Bible Study, we've explained that we do not believe you can merit or earn your salvation. That if we're saved, it will be because God has been a gracious, merciful, kind, loving, forgiving Heavenly Father. Now, having said that, I think it's interesting that right there in Ephesians chapter 2, it goes on to say, verse 9 says, It's not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And so that says there is work that God intends for us to do. God ordained that we should walk in these good works. And so we understand that there are works for us to do, uh, but they are not works that would earn our salvation. 
So, uh, I don't know. You want to call that Simipelagian? I, I never heard the guy's name before. But if that's what you want to call it, that may be uh, that that may be what it is. I don't know. I would look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying <laughs> ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Well, there's got the idea of grace, and it doesn't say... The grace of God has appeared, and it doesn't matter how you live, which is apparently what this author would believe. I mean, if, he, if he's casting uh, uh, you know, derision at the idea that we have to... If there's anything we have to do. ...be obedient, or there's a certain way we have to live. But if, but so, if you think about that, if, if, if you're going to exclude anything on our part at all, then you've got to, you've got to embrace the notion of universalism. Exactly. Because if it's fully by God's grace, well, God's no respecter of persons, Acts 10, verse 34 says. But, and so if he's no respecter of persons, then he's going to have to save everybody. But so, a lot of these guys don't believe that. And so they don't, they're not universalists that everybody's going to be saved. So there are requirements. And they would say, well, you've got to confess. You've got to have faith. You've got to have faith. You've got to repent. Well, that's clearly said in the scriptures. But there are other things taught in the scriptures, like you have to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present world. Well, if you're going to pick and choose, well, then I'll pick and choose the ones I want. It's either all or nothing. Yeah. We either have to obey all the commands of God or we don't have to obey any of them. And you're a universalist. Yeah. Even faith is called a work. In John chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus answered and said to him, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. So even faith is called a work. It's not a work of merit. It's not a work whereby we can earn our salvation, but they are necessary things. And so, again, let me read you what Kent from Georgia said. He said, We do not teach semi-Pelagianism or full Pelagianism. We do not believe nor teach that one earns salvation. We teach the doctrine of Christ that one is saved from sin by the grace of God and that such grace is conditioned upon one's obedience to the conditions of the gospel. Pelagianism falsely affirms that one invents their own system of works that brings salvation. The terms faith, repentance, confession of Christ, baptism for the remission of sin was not invented by men. Such are the divine conditions that activates the grace of God. And uh, Chris in Arizona says, by their theology, the author assumes too much. We do not have a theology by way of a written document or set of bylaws that establish for us a human creed. We have no creed but the Bible. We believe it to be in the inspired word of God as it claims, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. Neither do we believe, as the author charges, salvation by works plus God's grace. We reject a works-based salvation if by works we are talking about some deed we can do in and of our own derision that would be designed to impress God. If one must do anything at all, anything, then we must conclude that God has given a command unto salvation that it must be carried out in order to receive what is God's to give. He is the one who sets the conditions. This was understood by the audience on Pentecost. Men and brethren, what shall we do? And this would have been provided, this would have provided Peter the grand opportunity to respond, you've missed it. There's nothing to do. Instead, he responded with a divine command given from heaven. And by giving it, he was fulfilling the very function Christ said he would be, uh, he would by binding on earth that which had been bound in heaven. Matthew 16, verse 9. Thus, salvation well, not of works, lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, is by God's grace to those who are by faith, also called a work by Jesus in John six twenty nine, willing to obey the gospel message, Romans 1, 5, Romans 10, 16, 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, 1 Peter 4, 17. It is therefore not by God's grace plus our works, but by the grace of God and our compliance with his will, his works, not ours, in that we did not create the conditions. When we comply with his revealed word, we believing have life in his name john 20 verses 30 and 31 really good chris chris is one of the ones who said he hadn't been getting our updates for a while uh and he got it today because we mailed it out a different way so again those of you who are listening if you are you check and see if you're not getting our updates please let us know make sure your comments chris in the chat room james in florida says the Bible makes a distinction between of and through. Salvation is described as of grace, but never through grace. Salvation is also described as through faith and through works, but never of faith or of works. Romans 5 does say that our access to grace is of faith. Uh, James says it is of grace. It is not of faith nor works. Okay? 
Okay. Thank All you. Right. And then I think this is uh, Harold in the chat room. If it is, uh, good to hear from you, Harold. Uh, it is by grace that we – it's good to hear from whoever this is, but I think it's Harold. It is by grace that we uh, can serve God acceptably, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Yeah. Yeah. So – Really that's, that's it's it's God's grace that's given us. I think that that is a challenging thing in a lot of people's minds. If if grace is what we don't earn, uh, grace is unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor of God. Then how how is there anything that we do if it if we can't earn His favor? Then how is there anything that we do? And so I think it is a, a little bit of a challenging concept. It's a two sided coin. Uh, we don't earn salvation, but on the other hand, there are conditions for us to meet. And it, historically, the best way that I could illustrate that and have illustrated it for years is to to make an offer. Come to my house tomorrow at 10 o'clock with a Tennessee Vols jersey on, and I'll give you $100. Well, if you did that, my giving you $100 would still be a gift You haven't earned it, but you met the conditions or the terms in order to receive that gift. It's still a gift. You know, uh, uh, I wish I had I wish I had looked this up earlier. Jericho was told to it was said that God gave Jericho to uh, the children of Israel uh, where is that, Jacob? That, that would be really, Joshua six verse sixteen. Joshua six sixteen. Uh, it's and it came to pass at, at the seventh time when the priests blew the trumpets. Joshua said unto the people, "Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city." Okay, so God gave Jericho to the children of Israel. But they still had to do what he said, march around the city once each day for six days, march around the city seven times on the seventh day, shout, blow the trumpets. But he gave it to them. It was a gift, but there were terms for accepting that gift. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30 says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were come to us about seven days. So you see how they all fit together. Works doesn't preclude faith. Faith doesn't preclude grace. None of them preclude each other. They work together. If we have faith, we'll obey. And if we want God's grace, we'll do what he said in order to obtain it. Okay. Uh, let's, let's grab a break, Jacob. We've got to go a little faster. We'll, coming up, we're going to talk about patternism again. All right. Um, Kieran in the chat room says, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart, uh, that form of teaching to which you were, uh, were committed, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness, Romans six seventeen and 18. Notice they became free from sin after they obeyed from the heart. Good. Good. good, good Kieran, good. appreciate that. Um, and uh, James in Florida, grace contains power. Faith and works are merely a petition. It is the petition which God set forth, but it is still a petition. Moses' rod had no power, but was um, was a request from Moses of God to exercise his power. Okay. Thank you, James, for that. All right. All right. Quick uh, break. We're back right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Here's a quick thought. When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. Psalm 94, 19. In uncertain times, we can find comfort, renewed hope, even cheer from God and Him only. Where will you put your trust today? God wants you to trust in Him. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Speaking the truth often requires more courage than some people possess. Criticism is easy. Achievement is more difficult. Hell will be a truth many will realize too late. Proper use of today is the best preparation for tomorrow. Man, wish I'd said that. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program. We're going to go fast now, because uh, we want to get to this uh, instrumental music question at the end of the program here. Uh, he's, he's out in the field on that. We want to talk about that. All right, number All right. 16. All right, number 16. Despite their emphasis on patternism, works righteousness... The law of Christ 
and their view of grace that is similar to the pseudo-Christian cults, they deny they are legalists. Okay, so first off, if you start throwing around the word cult, uh, that's pretty good indication that you're starting to sling mud because um, you, 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 and he's going to do that in other uh, statements here as well, try and link us with Eastern religions and so forth. He, he's he's not he's not making uh, he's not making arguments like he should here when he starts to make yeah. those linkages. Yeah. Okay. But now get this. He, he says they have an emphasis on patternism. We didn't deny that. Uh, we do believe there's a pattern. We're to follow a pattern. The scriptures instruct us to follow a pattern. Yes. Works righteousness. Uh, we don't believe that we are righteous based on uh, works that we do. Ephesians uh, 2, 8, and 9. Yeah. Uh, so, but we do believe that there are works that we're supposed to do. We were just talking about that, so we don't have to dive too deeply into that again. Um, uh, in, in Titus 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So we, we don't believe in works righteousness. Yeah, right, there you okay. Go. Uh, we do believe that there's a law of Christ. The scriptures refer to it as such. Uh, and this view of grace that we have, he says, is similar to the pseudo-Christian cults. Uh, again, I think, as you said, that's mudslinging. But we deny that we are legalists. That's true. We do deny that we are legalists. Well, for, well it depends on what is it, that term. I know I can't read my Bible and say, oh, you shouldn't be a legalist. I don't know what that is. What is legalism? Well, I'm going to define it because that's what I want to deny. I want it illegal. Really, a legalist is one who invents his own rules, who sets up his own methodologies that must be followed. The, the Pharisees were legalists of their day. They had all kinds of traditions that they had invented that they were binding as equal with law. And so I would call the Pharisees the legalists of Jesus' day. And they were wrong, and they were and they're widely condemned by that. Jesus was very outspoken against what they were doing. But they were not legalists because they were insisting that the law of Moses be kept meticulously. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Woe unto you, scribe Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. So Jesus, in other words, the, the, the Pharisees were so meticulous about tithing, keeping the rules of tithing. Well, the, the law of Moses ordered tithing. Even when they grew just a few herbs in their garden, they gave a tenth. But they had neglected to do judgment, mercy, and faith. He says, these you ought to do, but don't leave the other undone, Jesus said. Jesus was not condemning them for being meticulous about keeping the law. That's not what made them legalist. What made them legalist was that they had invented all of their own kind of rules, uh, you know, hand washing and, and so forth. Jesus condemned them for that. So we are not legalists. We have, we do deny we are legalists. Now, what we mean when we deny legalism is we're not making up our own rules. But we are saying we ought to, as carefully as we can possibly do, we ought to keep the instructions of the New Testament. Okay. All right. Here's what Chris in Arizona said. He said, we are curious if it, this would not also be a legalistic belief about us on the part of the author. If he is not willing to see his objection to us any other way, that would be quite a legalistic view of those in the Lord's church that he holds. These objections are hollow, as the author surely holds a form of patternism. Let him try to deny it. Moses would have been considered a legalist by the author's view, for he was to make the tabernacle according to the pattern. He was shown by God in the mount, Exodus 25, verse 40, and cross-reference Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. Our view on grace is that it belongs to God. It is his to give, and, and in the form of Jesus coming here to live among men, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, to live sinlessly, Hebrews 5, 4, 15, cross-reference 1 Peter 2, verses 21 through 23, and to die bearing our sins on the cross, 1 Peter 2, verse 24. God has thus made available to all men this grace, which cannot be earned or deserved on the part of man, Titus 2, 11 and 12. All right, and Kent says, this false charge has already been answered in previous responses. This guy has redefined legalism. While the gospel is a legal document that one must be obeyed to be saved, 
pure legalism would be the false doctrine that one is saved exclusively by obedience without the grace of God. We do not believe nor teach such. We affirm that the New Testament teaches that we are saved by obedience to the gospel law of Christ because the grace of God makes such possible. Yeah. All right, so Kent is actually defining legalism a little differently. Uh, and, and I, and, 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 and he, all, but even both of us, although we define what legalism might be perceived to be, we both say we're not legalists. And you can define it any way you want, really, because that that's not a biblical term. Exactly. Uh, right. So what does it mean? It's I guess it's in the and, eye but, of but the But back to what accuser. I was saying, I think the Pharisees were the legalists of Jesus' day. And what made them legalists was not that they insisted on meticulous, meticulously obeying the law that God had given, but what made them legalists is that they were binding their own rules and laws. Uh, the Horwath family chimes in the chat room. Webster defines legalism today as strict, literal, or excessive conformity to the law or to a religious or moral code. If this is the definition, then we strictly adhere to God's law. Yeah, so uh, the Horwath okay. family would say, sign me up for that if that's what it means. Okay, so if, again, what is the right? So I agree with, with David here. He said, if. If it's legalism, say we must keep the law as closely as we possibly can, then we'll wear that label. But tell us what the label is, what yeah, the label the means. Because right here we've come up with three different possible definitions. Some of those definitions we would deny. Others we, we would be willing to accept. But this guy who's criticizing us should at least tell us what he means when he calls us legalists. Rick in the chat room says the problem many have is in thinking God's grace and works of obedience are mutually exclusive. Who can argue that it was by grace the Israelites were given victory over Jericho or that grace was involved in Naaman's healing in Second Kings chapter 5? Yet he was required to dip seven times in the Jordan River. His dipping in the Jordan in no way eliminated God's grace. In the same way, our obedience to the Lord's instructions in no way eliminates God's grace. I like that, Rick. Thank you. And James in Florida says an analogy concerning works of righteousness only a sterile, a sterile scra- a scalpel can perform a sterile surgery. A sterile scalpel cannot be made sterile by performing a surgery. All humans are incapable of doing works of righteousness until God makes us righteous. We're then capable of doing deeds which are not contaminated by our unrighteousness. Not sure I'm, about that. I'm not that. sure about that. I, yeah. James, I won't have to study that expression. We're incapable of doing works of righteousness until God makes us righteous. That's a little Calvinistic. I'm, 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 uh, we'll, we'll try to be in touch with you about that, James. I'm not sure I agree with that expression. And uh, I believe this is Harold says, It is truly amazing how so many define or understand faithfulness as legalism. According to their understanding, everyone in Hebrews 11 was a legalist. Yeah, talk about those great heroes of faith. Yeah. Uh, because they did what God told them to they do. Obeyed. They obeyed. You know, I, I mean, he, the That's, guy is sort of, he's hes making it like a bad idea yeah. to, do to obey. God, to do what God says. You think you ought to obey God? What, what kind of turnip truck did you fall off of, Kyle? Yeah. Are you crazy? You think you ought to obey God? What a stupid idea. Yes, yes. Which I think the silence, this is why I guess that's probably another, I'm surprised, I guess we did go over the silence of the scriptures and we don't do what the Bible says. So it's, um, I guess I'm shocked that others think that we should just, if it's not in the Bible, then it's okay. If the silence is a permission, it's not and a And we look at the religious world today and we wonder why so much nonsense goes on in the religious world today. It's because this kind of thinking that says you don't have to obey. And if that's the case, then no no wonder we're where we are in the denominational world. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's grab a break, and when we come back, we've got to talk quickly about the Holy Spirit, what he thinks we think about the Holy Spirit. The Horwath family references John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, keep my commandments. That pretty much summarizes it, and Is that's that not legalism. legalism. That's love. All right. We'll get this week's bullet point. We'll be back right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. A generation ago, Dr. Spock, the famous child care author, popularized the idea that children ought to never receive any physical punishment for misbehavior. He claimed that such negative discipline is dangerous, does not work, and should be replaced with positive reinforcement. Many parents followed his advice. The result? Well, the hippies and the flower children of the late 60s and early 70s who had learned nothing about self-discipline or restraint were the result. Even Dr. Spock backed away from his failed philosophy. Sadly, this view still surfaces from time to time. Compare it to what God says about child-rearing in the book of Proverbs. 
Chapter 22, verse 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Chapter 23, verses 13 and 14, do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Chapter 29, verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Obviously, these instructions should not be used to justify child abuse. Also, they need to be administered in conjunction with love and positive reinforcement when behavior is good. Ephesians 6, verse 4 urges us to use a balanced approach that will not, quote, provoke your children to wrath. But when we refuse to give physical discipline when it is needed, we are saying that Dr. Spock knows more about raising kids than God does. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Roger Toomes, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the virtual Bible study. We remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeu.com. And check out the live stream on YouTube, Kyle, uh, College U live stream. Yeah, yeah. Winding up our studies and uh, our lessons in Acts. It's uh, going on nearly a year, but not quite there. And, yeah, doing a good study on the eldership on Sunday nights. So lots of good lessons up there. Yeah. And James in Florida follows up. He says, we become righteous through just uh, righteous through justification. Justification comes from God. We're made righteous by God's decree of justification. Justification is granted at baptism. Well, but James, that doesn't say that you're incapable of doing anything righteous before baptism. And that's what that's what the Calvinists would t- would teach you that you're totally depraved, totally hereditary, hereditarily depraved, that you can't do anything good, that you're completely wicked, everything you do is is wicked, and uh, that you can't you can't be do anything righteous without God intervening. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, the way this is explained, that we're made righteous by justification. Justification is granted at baptism. Well, then it is. Is faith, repentance, confession, and baptism itself, are they not righteous deeds? No, but it says I can't, be, I can't do righteousness until I've been justified. If it's almost a circular reasoning, then I, I, I'm not sure. We, we, we don't have time to dive into that deeply tonight, James, but maybe we can another time. Yeah, all right. All right, so uh, paragraph 17 the Holy Spirit is not well-defined and is limited in his activities. The Holy Spirit is often said, this is what he says we believe. The Holy Spirit is often said to be either not active today or the Holy Spirit's activities may be limited in the words of the New Testament, limited to the words of the New Testament, or that the Spirit's activities are limited to helping us understand the Bible. In any case, they see the Holy Spirit's activity in a much more confined role than other Christians. So the Holy Spirit becomes, in a sense, the same as the Bible. There's little or no place for the Holy Spirit in regeneration or sanctification. Some even reject the notion that the Holy Spirit indwells a person, despite numerous mentions of this in the New Testament. Let me eliminate that last sentence. First of all, we do not deny that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. The New Testament says that he does. You have to start cutting verses out of your Bible to deny it. So he's wrong about that. He's wrong about that. Now, he says that we believe the Holy Spirit is not active today. We don't say that. I don't know anybody who's ever said that. That's not true. No. Or the Holy Spirit's activities may be limited to the words of the New Testament. I don't even believe that. No. But I do know that the Holy Spirit does use the word. It's it's actually called the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 6. Okay. Uh, uh, so the, the, the Holy Spirit does... The, it, the the word is a powerful tool uh, that the Holy Spirit uses to accomplish the purposes of God in this world. So the, the the Holy Spirit inspired the written word to be produced, preserved it to, unto us, and so you know. But to say that we believe that the the Bible is that is an active tool of the Holy Spirit. That's not to deny the Holy Spirit or and, that, you know, if, if I go out to my woodpile with an axe and I split some wood with with that axe, who split the wood? Well, I split the wood, but it would also be fair to say that the axe split the wood or that I used the axe to split the wood. And so that's the, that's a, a sort of a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit 
uses the word of God effectively to accomplish good. But I, I, I don't believe that that's all that the Holy Spirit does. I'm not sure we're even capable of comprehending everything that the Spirit does. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says, The Spirit helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh inter- intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, there's there's something I'm not sure I even understand, but it's something that the Spirit does. I got an email from Grant earlier today. He referenced that passage in his email. And... Um, so, so we can mark out that statement. That's clearly not true. The, the Holy Spirit's activities may be limited to the words of the New Testament. No, we've, we've that's said, not true. That's not true. He says this, or, or the Spirit's activities are limited to helping us understand the Bible. I don't think the Spirit helps us understand the Bible. I don't know where I'd go in the New Testament to to uh, establish that. In fact, why do we need the Spirit to help us understand the Bible? Paul, the Spirit gave us the Bible, and the, and Paul said uh, in Ephesians chapter three. He says, you've heard of the dispensation, Ephesians 3, verse 2, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Paul says, you can read it and you can understand it. We don't, the Spirit does not have to act upon me to make it possible for me to understand uh, the word of God. And therefore, he's wrong on that. So effectively... Everything he says that we believe about the New Testament is not true. Well, except this uh, one about might the be spirit true. in the New Testament is untrue. He said, in any case, they see the Holy Spirit's activities in a much more confined role than other Christians. Well, maybe we do. In, in we, some, we don't. I mean, there's like there's people who think the Holy Spirit makes them fall down in the aisles in the, uh, 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 the church building and roll around. Well, we don't think the Holy Spirit does that. There are some people who think the Holy Spirit makes them start uttering gibberish. Well, we don't believe the Holy Spirit does that. So maybe we are more confining than others. But we believe that we're just saying what the, the scriptures teach about the Holy Spirit's yeah. activities. Yeah. Chris has written a real long paragraph of this, and he told me earlier today we don't have to, to read all of that. Uh, but he, uh, I'm just going to sort of summarize what he says here. The author makes several charges in this objection, which would require a lengthy reply. Uh, he, he says, uh, I know of no Christian who, who denies the Holy Spirit indwells a person. We accept what the Bible says on that. Uh, Several other. He, he kind of just goes through the list that we just went through. That we, we, basically everything that he said we, we missed. And I'm not going to. Uh, he, he said it'd be okay to not necessarily read his whole lengthy reply there. So we're going to kind of have to hurry through that. Here's what Kent said. He said we accept what the New Testament teaches about the Holy Spirit. He's a divine person, the third member of the Godhead. He is just as much God or deity as the is the Father or, or the Son. He is not an influence as modern day cults teach, but rather he is a divine person. The Holy Spirit is not the Bible. The Bible is the result of the influence of the Holy Spirit uh, coming from plenary verbal inspiration. The gospel of Christ is particular in in the way the Holy Spirit influences individuals today. During the first century of the New Testament Christianity, of New Testament Christianity, the Holy Spirit worked miraculously in the area of plenary inspiration and by miracles and confirming such is true. When the completed New Testament text was both delivered and confirmed, the miracles and or direct confirmation of the text ceased, 1 Corinthians 13, 8-13. Today, in conviction and conversion of alien sinners, and also in the growth of New Testament Christians, the Holy Spirit works exclusively through the completed revelation of the Word of God. To teach otherwise is to imply the gospel of Christ is incomplete and imperfect, 2 Timothy 3, 15-17. Okay. All right. Real quickly, uh, paragraph 18. I think we can deal with this pretty quickly. They deny, vehemently deny, the historic Christian doctrine of original sin, even though they admit that, A, everyone sins, and B, children have to be taught not to be sinful. Thus, man sins not because of any corruption of his, in his nature, but because of his lack of understanding or simple stubbornness. This is a view they share with non-Christian groups, Muslims, communists, Eastern religions, Mormons, and Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> Sling a little more mud. Okay. East, those Eastern religions were just like them. I thought everybody was supposed to be all, we're all nice and, especially you put Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and, man, they're, I thought uh, they're outcasts. We're with the, yeah. the outcasts. Yeah. He calls, he calls, uh, he calls it the historic Christian doctrine of original sin. I, I suppose that that may be okay to call it that because it's been it's around reached, for a long time. Recent history though. Yeah. Uh, John Calvin thought of it. Yeah. 
600 years ago. Yeah. Uh, the Catholic Church may have before then. Maybe before that, too. Yeah. Uh, uh, but we, we do deny the notion of inherited sin. Uh is a passage, and he's going to ridicule us for using this here in a little bit, but Ezekiel chapter 18 says, uh, as I live, let's see, blah, 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 blah. which one do I, what, what, what verse do I want to read there? Uh, 18 and 19? Yeah. Uh, the father, because he, cruel, let's see, uh, verse 19. Yet, what, yet say ye why? Does not the Son bear the iniquity of the Father? When the Son hath done that which is lawful and right, and hath kept all my statutes, and hath done them, he shall surely live. Here's the verse I was wanting. I don't know why I don't have it highlighted here in my text. The soul that sinneth, this is Ezekiel 18, verse 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. That's as plain a statement, I think, as you could hope to find. I like Romans 7, verse 9. Uh, maybe not as clear, but it certainly makes the point. Paul says, for I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Paul never lived in a time when the law did not uh, exist. But there was a time in his life when he wasn't subject to the law prior to his being able to comprehend it. And he says that he was alive. He was born alive. He wasn't born dead in sin, as the, as the Calvinists would teach, as this gentleman would teach. But he was a born, born alive, uh, free from sin. Yeah. So we do admit that everyone sins and that children have to be taught not to sin. We, 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 do, that. we do teach those things. But it's not because we deny that there's a corruption in our nature, that we're born corrupt. Jesus said in Matthew 18 concerning little children, Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse uh, 3, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Little children corrupt. We're supposed to become like them, Jesus said. They're not corrupt. Yeah, exactly. You become like those those terrible heathens that can't do anything right. So, uh, again, we deny that that whole section. Uh, and uh, Kent just says the, doc- the doctrine of original sin is false. Ezekiel 18, verse 20. Revelation 20, verse 12. Now, that's an interesting one because we're going to be judged according to things that we do, not according to what our parents did or what Adam did, but Revelation 20, verse 12. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, where, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written according to the, in the books according to their works, not according to Adam and Eve, not according to your great-grandfather, but according to your deeds, your works. That's what will judge us. All right. Chris in Arizona says the author's charge here proves too much, therefore it fails miserably by suggesting that we share a view with other religious groups that are not part of what he calls historic Christianity. He means to stir up prejudice. Does the author not share views with these other groups? Does he mean to imply that he differs on every single point? With Muslims, communists, Eastern religions, Mormons, and Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, oh, he like uh, so. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God, like the Mormons yeah. and the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. Well, we probably have some differences even with Jehovah's Witnesses well, on well, the no, nature of, of Jesus Christ. Yeah, but, right. But yeah. we believe that, that there's a God in heaven. Yeah, like the more like the like, like the, the Muslims, Muslims do, and I mean, there's Eastern religions. They, they <laughs> worship a God like Eastern religions worship a God. Uh, Chris goes on to say, "We're not concerned with historic Christian doctrines. Uh, what does the concer- Bible say? We're concerned what, w- with the historic Christian doctrine that's recorded in the Bible. Mm-hmm. If original sin is the belief of the author, as it appears to be, then." That, too, proves too much. If one believes that we're born in total hereditary depravity, how could this not also apply to Jesus? Indeed, we know that he was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. While God is not sinful, what of Mary? And so he, he goes on in, in, that, in that vein to suggest, that why, why didn't Jesus inherit a corrupted nature if he was born to a woman? All right. All right. We got one to go. Let's grab our last break. We got one to go, and then we want to look quickly at what he says we believe about instrumental music. So Harold in the chat room says, John 5, verse 39. Uh, this is back on the idea of the Holy Spirit. Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are uh, they which testify of me. John 15, 26. Uh, but when the Comforter has come, whom I will send 
unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Talking about the Holy Spirit working through the word. Uh, Rick says, why didn't the Holy Spirit directly tell the eunuch that he was what he was reading about? It was through Philip's preaching the word that he came to understand the point of having faith. Uh, That's a good point, point Rick. You know, in other words, if the Holy Spirit's helping people to understand, why did, why did Philip have to? The eunuch was obviously confused and ask Philip to explain to him what he was reading. Why didn't the Holy Spirit explain it to him if that's what the Holy Spirit does? We don't believe that. All right. And then, um, yes, uh, this good good point here from uh, Rick in the chat room. Uh, back to when uh, David uh, lost his newborn uh, son because of the adultery with Bathsheba. He says, when the child conceived in adultery died, David said, I shall go to him but he shall not return to me. Was David saying he was going to hell? Who can believe that? If, it, if, if this idea of original sin is true, then that child was destined for hell. Uh, but David said he was going to go to him, and that, he took comfort in that because David understood that the child was going to be in heaven. All right, All right let's, let's grab a quick break, and we'll, we'll be back and wrap this up. When we get back, we'll go to the top of the hour. Stay tuned. We're back right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Misconception number 56. The folks at College View Church of Christ aren't led by the spirit they're afraid of him. Some people say this, but it's simply not true. The fact is, there is not a single thing we do at the College View Church of Christ without first getting the Holy Spirit's approval. Granted, we don't have healing crusades, miracle ministries, or slayings in the spirit, but we refuse to do anything without Holy Ghost guidance. You may have been misled about us. Why not come learn the truth about the College View Church of Christ this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m.? Remember, the truth will set you free. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Surveys show that a large majority of both men and women say spanking kids is acceptable. 76% of men say it's acceptable, but only 65% of women agree. 78% of Christians call this practice acceptable, while only 66% of non-Christians agree. That information is via PJ Media. The Word of God says in Proverbs 29, verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back going to the top of the hour. Quick comment from Harold in the chat room. God made men upright, but men do wickedness. Uh, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 29. I think that's right. Good point. Good point. All right. All right. His final statement in this doctrinal summary of the churches of Christ he says they refuse to fellowship with other Christians, even other conservative Christians. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, we refuse to fellowship error yeah. because we're told that we must. So if, if, if we understand that someone is teaching and practicing error, we cannot be in spiritual fellowship. Fellowship suggests the, the word itself suggests joint participation. We cannot participate in 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 error or false doctrine or false teaching. Ephesians 5 uh, verse 11 says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Second yeah. uh, John verse 10 says, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. So here comes a guy and, and he's teaching the doctrine of original sin. That we just discussed. What am I to do? I can't fellowship him in that matter. He's teaching error. Would he? Well, would he fellowship us? I mean, he's, I don't he's know. wrote a scathing article about us. He, he said we're like communists and Eastern religions and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. Would would he would he have fellowship with us? Yeah. So again, we are limited in in what we can have joint participation with. And, and that's what fellowship is about. Mohan in Illinois says the Bible commands us to have no fellowship with darkness, but rather reprove the works of darkness. Again, that's Ephesians 5.11. Exactly Appreciate right, that, Mohan. Kent says in following New, Te- New Testament doctrine, we seek to fellowship those who are in fellowship with Christ and the Father, God. First John 1, 3 through 6. If one has never obeyed the gospel of Christ, they are outside the fellowship of God. If one has obeyed the gospel of Christ and then by practice of sin walks in darkness, they have... They are also outside the fellowship of God. The non-Christian needs to obey the gospel of Christ, and the fallen, disobedient Christian needs to repent and be restored to the fellowship of Christ. Then we can have fellowship upon the basis of individuals being in fellowship with Christ and God the Father. All right, and Chris in Arizona says, Does the author make a distinction between Christians and conservative Christians? 
We do not have not and will never refuse fellowship to faithful Christians. But the author misunderstands what a Christian is. To become a Christian, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16, 16. One who obeys a different message than that given by our Lord is therefore not a Christian and cannot be one with whom we have fellowship. It is impossible to be taught wrong and saved right when obeying a false message. Were there those in the Bible who were Christians with whom other Christians were to have no fellowship? To be sure, what of Demas, Second Timothy 4, verse 10? He was a Christian. What of Hymenaeus, Alexander, Philetus, and those whom they taught to follow their doctrine? Should there have been fellowship extended to them? We cannot extend fellowship to unfaithful brethren, Second Thessalonians 3, 6, nor to those claiming to be Christians while teaching false doctrine, Second John 9 through 11. Thank really you. good, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for your, your participation tonight, Chris. And Harold in the chat room says, Other Christians... Question mark. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is Christ. Galatians 3, verse 16. So Harold would, I, would differ on this idea that uh, there would be multiple denominations and, or practices or faiths that would be pleasing to God. There's one faith and, uh, and not multiple. Thank All you, Harold. Right. Well, we've taken three weeks to go through that doctrinal summary of, of the churches of Christ, and I thought it was pretty interesting. And, I, uh, and the guy missed us on every point. I mean, every paragraph that he worded was had falsehood in it. Yeah. He does, and, you know, it, it, he should do. I, I think I would just say, do your homework. If you're going to write about somebody, at least understand what you're saying. He didn't have a good understanding about what we believe at all. Okay. I want to just real quickly go to the section of his much, much longer article. Uh, to a section, uh, I printed this off, it's 35 pages long, and then on page 14, he said, a study of the Church of Christ doctrine is, of course, not complete without a look at instrumental music. The non-instrumental music wing of the Church of Christ feels so strongly about this that they will not fellowship with churches who use instrumental music, saying, we don't fellowship the instrument. Acapella singing is wonderful and most worshipful. The concern is why this issue would cause folks to break fellowship with other Christians. So here's his argument. Why is instrumental music not allowed in worship when the definition of psalm, which you do allow, is a hymn set to music? See Strong's Dictionary New Testament uh, of the New Testament as well as English dictionaries. Since psalms are included in proper worship, Ephesians 5.19, shouldn't instrumental music necessarily be used in worship to be obedient to Scripture? It is it being disobedient to Paul's instruction by not using psalms correctly in the worship service? In other words, given the definition of psalm, by your own rules of inclusion and exclusion, doesn't the Bible require instrumental music? He said, I don't know if he realized, he just contradicted himself. He said, acapella singing is wonderful and most worshipful. Then he says, but the definition of psalm requires us to use instrumental music. So acapella wouldn't be worshipful because it'd be a disobedience to the command to use instrumental music. He's actually missed it. He's missed his own argument. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, the word that is in that verse that some say argues for instrumental music some or Ephesians 5:19 is speaking to yourselves in psalms hymns spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the lord making melody is from the greek word solo and that's the word that's the greek word that people argue includes the use of instrumental music not the term psalm but the but the the greek word solo which in this king james version is translated making melody now the argument is that that greek word implied the use of instrumental accompaniment you can't find a greek expert who agrees that that's what it meant in the first century and the fact of the matter is Church historians agree unanimously that the first Christians did not use instrumental music. They knew the Greek language and how it was used in that day, and they and, and they did not understand the the word solo making melody to include instrumental accompaniment or mandated. They used it as it. their native tongue. And he says it mandates it, but they didn't yeah. see it that way. They didn't because all church historians without exception agree that the earliest Christians did not use instrumental music in their worship. The Greek Orthodox church split off from the Catholic church around 1000 AD. The Greek Orthodox church, they understood the Greek, the Greek Orthodox church didn't use instrumental music. So at the beginning, 
About a thousand years later, those who knew Greek didn't believe that solo meant use instrumental accompaniment. And then today, uh, there's dozens of English translations of the New Testament from the Greek text. And I don't think there's, uh, in fact, I'm just certain there's not a single one that translates solo as sing with instrumental accompaniment. And so even today, those who know the, know the Greek language do not think that solo justifies the inclusion of music, instrumental musical accompaniment. James and Florida says, in your heart, tells where the solo took place. Exactly right. Okay. Thank you, James. All right. He, said, he goes on to say, in fact, we, don't all three words used in Ephesians 5, 19, Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, include musical instruments in their definition? Go to the online blue letter Bible of Ephesians 5, 19 and look up the meanings. Okay, I guess the the blue letter Bible is the authority there. Yeah. Aren't instruments of music used? Uh, aren't instruments of music in worship to God in heaven? Revelations five, verse eight. Yes. Angels angels play harps in heaven. Mm-hmm. If you're an angel in heaven, then I suppose that's what you should do. We are not angels. We're not in heaven. That wouldn't have anything to do with us on mm-hmm. earth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they are neither, they neither married nor given in marriage in heaven either. Are you ready to sign up for that? He says, aren't instruments of music and worship in the Old Testament? Yes. Nobody denies that. We don't live under the Old Testament law. Uh, is there any condemnation of instruments of music anywhere in the Bible? Uh, uh, he says, there's not a single solitary sentence anywhere in all the scriptures, even hints of God's disapproval of instrumental accompaniment to singing. So, uh, but but there's not any there's not any specific condemnation of lots of things. It's a question of authority. Silence doesn't authorize. We've talked about that so many times. God didn't have to say not to when He told us what He wanted us to do in the New Testament. It mentions a cappella singing. It, it, it mentions music by vocal singing without instrumental accompaniment. He doesn't have to say what not to do when he told us what to do. That's a a basic premise of Bible authority. We understand that. Uh, And then he he says, it seems the Church of Christ is desperately inconsistent in interpreting the Bible. If necessary to prove a point, the Church of Christ calls on Old Testament examples. For example, in order to disprove original sin, you call on Ezekiel 18, verse 20, which we just did. Well, that states the truth of God and how he regards individual accountability. We're not going there to establish law. We're just going there to show how God has historically understood individual accountability. He says, if you want to prove patternism, you call on Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Aside from those passages taken out of context to prove a point, why do you conveniently ignore Old Testament passages about instrumental music? We go to those passages to prove something about God and his nature. We don't go to any Old Testament passage to prove the authority for what we do in our religious practice today. Yep. That's the answer. Okay. Rick says, no teaching is done at all by mechanical instrument of music. Teaching is done through words, speaking. Yeah. So so he's going back to Ephesians 5. Speaking to yourselves in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. If that if if psalm there means play a play a musical instrument, the musical instrument not doing any teaching. The psalms were teaching. He said, "Could we just hum? What about yodeling? <laughs> I don't know about yodeling. Why don't you give us a demo of that, Rick? I'd like to hear that. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. It wouldn't uh, it wouldn't teach. Okay. Exactly right. All right." Uh, yodeling is a lost art. Everybody knows that. Well, uh, maybe Rick's Rick's campaigning for it in the chat room. All right. All right. So once again, that website is faithfacts.org. Faithfacts, one one mashed together word, faithfacts.org. And then look for World Religions and then look for Church of Christ. And that guy is so – this is the document. took me 35 pages to print it off. 35 pages that you'll never get back. But the guy just doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, that's sad. It's really sad that he that he wrote that much and doesn't know what he's talking about. All right, <coughs> Kyle. Final thoughts from you tonight. Well, it's we want everyone to come to know who Jesus is and to be saved and be baptized. So it's just this is a it's a good lesson. I'm very sorry that this man is so lost on 
uh, the Lord's church. So hopefully he can come to recognize that that grievous error that he's in. So, all right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, James in the chat room says, let's talk Romans 10, 10 unto salvation and unto righteousness. Romans 10 for with a heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Okay. But that doesn't say you can't work. Uh, this is back to the idea that you can't work righteousness until God acts on you in some way where you can work righteousness. And that's not the case. Um, and it, it, we can talk more about that, James. But if you if you want to if you want to make that statement and hold to that doctrine, then it opens up the door. In fact, it necessitates opening up the door for all other kinds of false doctrines. For instance, the doctrine of uncondition, unconditional election. If I'm totally wicked and I can't work righteousness until God moves on me, then God has to choose me in order to enable me to work righteousness. Uh, and so. It does seem, uh, and again, this is not our topic for discussion tonight, but it does seem like James's position uh, has has some overlap with with what we think uh, is wrong with Calvinistic doctrine. We can talk more. Let's about talk it. some more. All right, uh, Brian uh, has been listening for the last three weeks, um, and he uh, so he appreciates the discussion. I appreciated the discussion. I've benefited from it. I hope that our listeners have as well. Good. Uh, thank you for helping us get it out tonight, Kyle. And, Dad, thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. Uh, appreciate you listening tonight. Um, we hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.